On April 29, 2015, the Baltimore Orioles hosted the Chicago White Sox in front of zero fans at Camden Yards. And the first pitch of the ball game, a strike to Adam Eaton. So we're finally getting baseball underway in a historical game. First and only time a regular season scheduled championship game being played with the doors locked. WGN play-by-play announcer Ken Hawk Harrelson there setting the scene inside the park. Outside it, Baltimore was burning because Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old black man, had died a week after suffering a severe spinal cord injury while in police custody. The autopsy report for Freddie Gray explains how the medical examiner's office came to the conclusion that his death was a homicide. In the report, they say that his death met the medical and legal definition of an accident, uh, but the acts of omission by the officers involved, such as failing to restrain him with a seatbelt and rendering aid, are what caused it to uh, become a homicide. They determined that his death was likely caused by a high impact injury to his head, likely when the van he was traveling in decelerated suddenly or accelerated. That caused him to hit the walls of the van. They believe he may have at one point actually propped himself up uh, and with his hands shackled and his uh, ankles shackled, he was unable to restrain himself as he as he flew forward. All night, all day, we will fight for Freddie Gray. All night, all day, we will fight for Freddie Gray. Freddie, Freddie, Freddie. We want justice and we want it now. What do we want? Justice. And when do we want it? That was Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton explaining the Freddie Gray autopsy report, followed by audio from a cell phone video obtained by the New York Times of the ensuing protests in Baltimore. The upheaval led to the postponement of the first two contests of the team's three-game series before the first known Major League Baseball game ever to be played in an empty lockdown stadium took place. As the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, and NFL gear up their attempts to restart American professional team sports, their current plans do not include having fans in the stands. On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports, because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we're going to take a look back at this 2015 contest between the White Sox and Orioles. It took place in the shadows of the outcries of people protesting yet another death of a black American at the hands of the police. With that context in mind, we will explore what the viewing experience would be like for a fan watching a live American team sports event played inside an empty stadium or arena. The Orioles 8-2 win lacked any tension or drama, but in a way I couldn't pinpoint until the bottom of the third inning when, with Chicago trailing 6-0, Mr. Harrelson started this exchange with WGN White Sox analyst Steve Stone. I'm starting to believe our guys need some noise to play. It would appear that way in the early going, yes. <laughs> We've got to get acclimated to this <laughs> silence. When Baltimore's Alejandro Diaz fouled off a pitch in the first inning, the ball caromed off an empty seat in a prime lower-level third-base section of the stands and back onto the field. Later, in the bottom of the first inning, Orioles first baseman Chris Davis stepped to the plate to face White Sox pitcher Jeff Samarja with two men on and his team leading one to nothing. That's way out of here. Wow. And it's 4 nothing. That cheering you hear, courtesy of WGN, which sounds like a polite golf clap, is coming from a small group of fans gathered just outside the lockdown Camden Yards to watch the game through the right field fence. In most telecasts of any sporting event, the broadcasters do what's called laying out, letting the crowd noise tell the story for them. 
But when there are no fans and thus no crowd noise, the broadcasters have to fill every second or leave the viewer listening to what feels like interminable dead air. It was in those silences that I heard what were either news or police helicopters flying over the city of Baltimore. There was no acclimating to the stadium atmosphere, as some of the players involved recounted to Baltimore Sun reporter Eduardo A. Encina for an article published on the game's one-year anniversary. Mr. Davis called the week of protests following Mr. Gray's death, quote, a hard time for the city, during which Baltimore was going through so much pain and suffering, end quote. White Sox outfielder Adam Eaton told Mr. Encina he remembered seeing smoke above the Baltimore skyline when he looked out his hotel window and protesters being arrested when he went outside. Still, Mr. Eaton said, when he stepped into the batter's box to lead off the game, he realized he'd underestimated the totality of the moment. Quote, to be honest with you, when I first went into it, I didn't think it would be a big deal. There was almost this half-asleep feel because there was no energy. There were no people there. There was no music. It was almost like worse than a backfield spring training game. The city was fresh on everyone's minds. When you step into that batter's box and there was no nothing, you had the realization that it was a big deal that there was nobody here. We've got to play because this is our job, but there's a reason why there's nobody here. It's very somber in that sense. You've just got a lot of emotions running through your mind. As baseball players, as teams, we feed off energy and when there's nothing there, it's a very surreal and weird moment that I'll never forget, but kind of wish I could. End quote. Mr. Davis echoed Mr. Eaton's sentiments, saying, quote, It's still tough to think about it all now. I don't think too many of us really go down that road too often because there's a lot of pain there, and it's not something pleasant to think about. End quote. The reason it was, to use their words, weird, somber, surreal, unpleasant, is the symbolism of the empty seats and accompanying silence. The game was being played in a lockdown stadium because people were protesting the injustice of a black man being fatally injured by police. Both Mr. Davis and Mr. Eaton were fully aware of how somber and painful the scene in Baltimore was, and that the empty stadium reflected the pain of that time. I included their comments about wanting to forget the circumstances of that game, not to cast aspersions on them, but because I think they understood what was going on around them much better than I did. Like them, I'm white. But unlike them, I did forget, because as a white person, I had the luxury of doing so. And while I stewed in anger at the racist acts happening all around me. When you say black lives matter, that's inherently racist. Black lives would... matter, white lives matter, Asian lives matter, Hispanic lives matter. That's anti-American and it's racist. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag? To say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! It saddens me greatly to realize how ignorant I was to the nature of the more casual racism and aggression those around me, even some of my closest friends, face every day. And to my eternal regret, I failed to offer more empathy and to be a better ally. Instead of trying to erase from my memory the grim dead air hanging over that game, I should have realized it symbolized the best among us, asking the rest of us to try to do better. I should have known and realized then that Freddie Gray's death and the ensuing protests in Baltimore are part of a much larger and darker chapter of American history that was inked into our country's constitution, as then-Senator Barack Obama said during his presidential campaign speech, a more perfect union, on March 18, 2008. We the people. 
in order to form a more perfect union. 221 years ago, in a hall that still stands across the street, a group of men gathered and with these simple words launched America's improbable experiment in democracy. Farmers and scholars, statesmen and patriots who had traveled across the ocean to escape tyranny and persecution, finally made real their declaration of independence at a Philadelphia convention that lasted through the spring of 1787. The document they produced was eventually signed, but ultimately unfinished. It was stained by this nation's original sin of slavery, a question that divided the colonies and brought the convention to a stalemate until the founders chose to allow the slave trade to continue for at least 20 more years and to leave any final resolution to future generations. Of course, the answer to the slavery question was already embedded within our Constitution, a Constitution that had at its very core the ideal of equal citizenship under the law, a Constitution that promised its people liberty and justice and a union that could be and should be perfected over time. And yet words on a parchment would not be enough to deliver slaves from bondage or provide men and women of every color and creed their full rights and obligations as citizens of the United States. What would be needed were Americans in successive generations who were willing to do their part through protests and struggles on the streets and in the courts through a civil war and civil disobedience and always at great risk to narrow that gap between the promise of our ideals and the reality of their time. And while slavery has been eradicated, its stain on our national history has not. It continues in the form of systemic racism and the oppression of black people, which has been dramatically magnified by the coronavirus pandemic. CNN's United Shades of America host and executive producer W. Kamau Bell starts an episode from the 2019 season about racism in Milwaukee with this story about an 18-year-old white teenager named Jared Stephen Leone and his 2013 encounter with Beaverton, Oregon police at City Hall. According to him, he's high on mushrooms. So he starts a fight with some cops. They all wrestle, and then Jared grabs a cop's gun and shoots it. More cops jump in. It ends up taking seven cops two full minutes to restrain Jared, and he makes it out alive. This is white privilege. If that idea bothers you, then let's just call it benefit of the doubt. Those cops give Jared the benefit of the doubt that his life matters, that his life is worth saving, even when he takes one of their guns and shoots it. Now, of course, when you're black, we rarely get that benefit of the doubt. Cops murdered Laquan McDonald in less than 30 seconds. Cops killed Tamir Rice in less than two seconds. But Jared, he got probation and a fine just a bump on the forehead. Unlike white Americans, both black American women and men alike have been victimized and brutalized by police. 28-year-old Tatiana Jefferson was playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew late one night in 2019 when two white police officers arrived for a welfare check after a neighbor called a non-emergency number to report the door to the Fort Worth, Texas house belonging to Miss Jefferson's mother was open. According to police and body camera footage, one of the responding officers, who was standing outside the house and hadn't identified himself, yelled at Miss Jefferson, who was standing by the window inside, Put your hands up! Show me your hands! Seconds before shooting her dead. 
In 2015, 28-year-old Sandra Bland was found dead, hanging in her jail cell, three days after what should have been a routine traffic stop for a failure to signal in Waller County, Texas, just west of Houston. In internal interviews, the arresting officer, who is white, told State Department of Public Safety officials, quote, my safety was in jeopardy at more than one time, end quote. Yet, according to Bland family attorney Cannon Lambert, a cell phone video Miss Bland recorded, but which did not surface publicly until more than three years after her death, undercuts the officer's statement because, Mr. Lambert points out, the white male officer is staring at the cell phone during the confrontation, clearly showing, quote, he wasn't in fear of his safety, end quote. You just opened my car door, so you're going to get threatening to drag me out of my own car. Get out of the car! And then you gonna stop me? I will light me? you up. Get out! Wow! Now! Wow! Get out of the car! Really for a failure to signal, you doing all of this for Get a failure to signal? Get over there! Right? Yeah, yeah. Let's take this to court. Let's do Go it. Ahead. For a failure to signal. Yep. For a failure to signal. Get off the phone. On my school. Get off the phone. I'm not on the phone. I have a right to Put record. This is my down. property. Miss Bland's death led to the enactment of the 2017 Sandra Bland Act in Texas, which required that all police officers be trained in de-escalation techniques. However, we're still seeing plain evidence that, as Mr. Bell wrote in a May 27th Instagram post, restraint, discipline, and patience has never been used for black folk in this country. On May 29th, NPR published a statistic showing the rate at which black Americans are killed by police is more than double that of white Americans. A non-comprehensive list from that date numbers 100 tragic, needless, and senseless deaths of black men and women at the hands of police, whose duty is to serve and protect. Since Daniel Pantaleo of the New York Police Department choked 43-year-old Eric Garner to death in July 2014. I'm minding my business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time. Please just leave me alone. Please, please, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't touch me, please. Don't touch me. Damn. Uh-huh. Put your hand behind That list includes 46-year-old George Floyd, who was killed by a white Minneapolis police officer named Derek Chauvin. Please, please let me stand. Please, man, I can't breathe. Man. I'm about to just die in this thing. Relax. Man, I can't breathe in my face. Just get up. Oh. Oh. What do you want? I can't breathe. Oh, that's it. That's it. Tough, bro. He's not even resisting arrest, bro. His whole nose is going to fall with him. Bro, why are you just sitting there? He ain't doing nothing now. Put him in the car. It'll kill me. How long I got to hold him down? Why are you doing drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. What I just played for you was 51 seconds long, a fraction of the eight minutes, 46 seconds during which Officer Chauvin pinned his knee against Mr. Floyd's neck. In a June 5th interview with Chris Cuomo on CNN's Cuomo Primetime, comedian D.L. Hewley described the structural racism that not just allowed, but encouraged such an event to take place. The officer that took George's life had had 18 complaints in 20 years. 18. 
the fact that that man not only got to stay on the force, but he was placed in an area where he was most likely to run into people who he would be able to brutalize. That's not an accident. If you look at this systematically, you'll see a, a pattern of brutal officers, undisciplined officers being put in, a, in the proximity of our communities. Of course, when white people say most of the cops I know are good, they're right, because they would never get the level of policemen that we get. That same officer would never be in, a, 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 in, a, in proximity of people of affluence. So there are people that should not have jobs. If you curse on the air enough at the very job you do, or I did the same thing on my radio show or any other platform, I would lose it. I would have forfeited. Why, why do they get to keep forfeiting the pro- public trust and being able to keep their job? I don't understand it. Mr. Bell's and Mr. Hewley's words reflect exactly what former San Francisco 49ers star quarterback Colin Kaepernick said were his reasons for protesting four years ago. His words are sadly as relevant now as they were then. On September 16, 2016, an unarmed 40-year-old black man named Terrence Crutcher was shot dead by police in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shortly after his death, video was released showing Mr. Crutcher walking slowly to his stalled vehicle, his arms raised high. A group of police officers trailed behind him, and then he was shot dead. This came during the same week in which two other black males, 43-year-old Keith Scott in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Tyree King in Columbus, Ohio, a 13-year-old who was carrying a BB gun, were shot and killed by police. Speaking a few days after Mr. Crutcher's killing, Mr. Kaepernick told reporters this. They shot and killed him and walked around like it wasn't a human being. I mean, people are getting killed and not even being treated as human beings. No one went and checked on them. No one tried to resuscitate them. Nothing. They walked around, went about their business, and made up lies to cover up their murder that they just committed. That's not right, and they should be in prison for that. For his words and his silent protest of taking a knee during the national anthem, a gesture suggested by former Green Beret and NFL long snapper Nate Boyer, Mr. Kaepernick has effectively been blackballed by the league since he played in his last NFL game in January 2017. Could it be that Mr. Kaepernick is no longer playing because we conned ourselves into believing that sports should be a safe space, devoid of any and all discussion of race, politics, and society? That is essentially what the phrase stick to sports means. Even if Mr. Kaepernick never plays again, and I hope he does, he's paved the way for so many more athletes to speak out about what we as a country have witnessed for centuries. We're already seeing the power these players have when they don't stick to sports, particularly when it's NFL superstars like Super Bowl MVP quarterback Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson among those doing the talking. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gardner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown Jr. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National National Football Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. 
happy. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. It took less than 24 hours for NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to issue a video reply using those exact words. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much-needed change in this country. Without Black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of Black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. Sadly, it took the NFL nearly four years to respond to Mr. Kaepernick's initial request. And even more unfortunately, the commissioner's reply did not include an apology to, nor even a mention of, Mr. Kaepernick. I have no doubt that when American professional sports resume, so will on-field and on-court protests. If they do, sports fans of all races should full-throatedly embrace them and tell those brave athletes we're ready to hear what they have to say. On April 29, 2015, at Camden Yards, White Sox first baseman Adam LaRoche stepped to the plate with two out in the top of the ninth inning, and Baltimore leading 8-2. Masson's television cameras panned across a sea of empty green seats. Perhaps even the seven scouts I spotted over the course of watching the game, and whom I assume were assigned to work it, had left at that point. A camera then cut to a small gathering of people outside the stadium. Their chanting producing a quiet murmur through my computer speakers. Those chants caught the ears of Mass and Orioles analyst Mike Bordick and play-by-play announcer Gary Thorne. Amazing. Gotta love that. Well, you love the fans. I mean, that's... That's why I can never play in an empty house no. as a matter of course. Well, I, I remember uh, when I was 18 years old. It's about 39 degrees, and it's opening day in Aberdeen, uh, South Dakota. I'm playing for Cal Ripken Sr., and he tells us about the Oriole way, work ethic, uh, passion, have fun. And he said the only reason we're here is because of those people out there chanting. Exactly. Yep. And uh, it is. At the end of the day, fans... They, they make it happen. As Mr. LaRoche swung through strike three to end the game, and Baltimore closer Zach Britton high-five catcher Caleb Joseph to celebrate the win, this is what I heard as the game broadcast ended. One ball, two strike count. Britton's delivery to him, swung on and missed, and the ball game is over. That, courtesy of Masson, is the sound of team sports being played without fans, with the multiple pandemics of coronavirus and systemic racism hanging over America. To those telling any athlete, coach, or commentator, stick to sports. You can, in the words of Fox News host Laura Ingraham, trying to shout down NBA star LeBron James in 2018, shut up and dribble. 
This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was voiced, written, produced, and edited by me, Jake Williams. Thank you for listening. <laughs>